We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Roadwire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, October 2nd. We are on the verge of week six. Nick Whalen here with John McKechnie. John, on this day in 2010, nine years ago, Darren Thomas led the Oregon Ducks to a 52-31 win over Andrew Luck, Richard Sherman, and the Stanford Cardinal. En route to making the national title game. That's right. And then losing to Auburn. Auburn. Yes. Seems and like forever ago. I guess it was kind of forever ago. Michael Dye was down is the famous resounding call that they like went, <laughs> re-went viral uh, going into week one when they played each other again. Whatever happened to Michael Dyer? Um, I think he washed up at Louisville and then uh, oh, that's right. And then was uh, well. Excuse me. The... No, he did not. He is certainly not washed up. He is currently an American football running back for the Texas Revolution of the CIF, the Champions Indoor Football. Oh, okay. Well, I, league, I horribly misspoke, misspoke there, yeah. so that, that's on me. He's, he's on the way back up. Uh, looks like he played for 
the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at some point. He ended up at Arkansas Baptist for a little bit. He did a stint with the Toronto Argonauts. Um, so anything that you've probably wanted to know about Michael Dyer, you just about found out, you know, two minutes into this podcast. Thank you. Um, before we get into kind of looking back at week five, looking ahead to week six, and of course, parsing through all the DFS plays for the week, big news out of California. This is something that's kind of been brewing, uh, for a while. And, you know, over the last month or so is, has kind of been building toward this, but, uh, college football players are officially going to be getting paid or able to be paid, uh, for their likeness in the state of California. This is not something that's going to immediately take effect. Right. You know, it's it's still a couple years down the road, um, but you know, certainly something that off the field at least is probably the biggest storyline of the college football season. And I know you and I and a lot of other people are, are skeptical of what the effects will be, but it at least has the the potential to kind of move things in the right direction, at least from my perspective. In in terms of these guys you know, not becoming millionaires when they're 19, but being able to at least profit um, and, and kind of share in some of the revenue that they're generating for these schools. Yeah, because it, these players do make so much money for, for their schools, like you were saying there. And it, I think it kind of brings things out of those like smoky back rooms with all the boosters, you know, fi- finding out ways in the bag man, so to speak, and finding a way to just kind of bring things out into the light a little bit. Uh, you do can uh, worry about the the potential pitfall of the these local companies and businesses around the around campus or in uh, the general region just kind of becoming these de facto just money laundering pits for for these boosters. The real now, victims but, here are the local car dealerships. Right. Yeah, because they've just been they've been making off like bandits and now <laughs> Now they got to like do it all above board and actually like pay taxes off of it or whatever. But uh, yeah, I think I think that this is something that things have been working towards this. And, and I know that uh, several other states have introduced legislature on this um, pretty aggressively trying to get this enacted at, at, in their given uh, or in their respective states here. So um, the changes here, I feel like this change has always been inevitable. And it's kind of cool to see how quickly like once the the like the switch was flipped it feels like now like it's on it, it, and it's not like this gradual uh thing that's like, off in the distance one day it'll be here like the the one day is now mm-hmm. interestingly you know both the ncaa of course and the pac-12 even lobbied against this in california i mean it, it's not surprising that the ncaa would do that i mean this is in direct opposition to everything that the ncaa has been about um, but but to even have the conference, which I guess in a lot of ways is aligned with the NCAA, uh, come out against it is is really interesting. But it, I mean, on the surface, have you really seen anyone who is not a coach or does not work for the NCAA who is against this? I mean, for the most part, as far as pay for play goes, it, it does seem like public opinion. Um, you know, and I think especially among people kind of in our age demographic everyone pretty much universally sees this as a step in the right direction. It is. And, you know, there, there's been some hand-wringing from ADs of, right. you know, schools that kind of have benefited from, like, you know, kind of being on the top of the mountain. Like, uh, I know Gene Smith, who I believe is the AD at Ohio State, was, was, was showing a whole lot of concern about this. Meanwhile, Justin Fields, like... Yeah. isn't really a student there actually he's just like the, <laughs> like the hired the, hand the, yeah he's the mercenary quarterback and gonna like bring them into the national uh college football playoff type of thing so like it you know it's it's laughable when when ad's are like getting all wishy-washy about this or getting all holier than thou when you know crazy stuff goes on mm-hmm. at, at their respective schools and now you know like that it just levels the playing field to an extent that that you know uh players will have that choice to go to a, a less huge school mm-hmm. with, with um with the hopes of you know being able to profit off of that off of their names at the at those places 
so it's still going to be a little murky for the time being. Um, you know, it, it sounds like they're they're targeting 2023 as the, as the year that this would take effect. So you know, any player who's on a roster right now, you know, unless you're a, f- a freshman, really is not going to to see the benefits of this. But it could have huge effects in recruiting. You know, I think there could be maybe a short term reaction to players seeing this and thinking, you know, if you're deciding between Florida and USC and it's 50-50, maybe this pushes you toward USC, ah. um, even as, you know, like you said, other states are trying to in- introduce something similar. And it does feel like they're going to have to, you know, if this does prove to be an advantage recruiting-wise, um, I don't think other states are going to want to be left behind. You know, yeah, you like better Alabama's believe Alabama. Gonna be, <laughs> Alabama's going to have this, like, on the ballot, like, in three days to, to make sure that they're not uh, falling behind in recruiting. But it's going to be really interesting because, in in some ways, this kind of by default sets it up for you know, a system where not everyone is being paid and, and only the players who quote unquote deserve it or have earned the, earned the right, I guess, or earned, you know, have, have boosted their reputation to the, to the level that a, a company would ask them to endorse a product. Sure. Um, so in some ways it'll, it'll kind of, it'll reward the guys who, you know, who have, who have been able to build that kind of profile and, and the players that, you know, if you're the third string kicker at, at Bologna, you, you know, you're probably not going to be getting any endorsements, which you know, maybe create some issues of its own, but in some ways it's kind of going to be a merit-based system. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see, um, if there's any like handshake deals on the recruiting trail when it comes to this, like, you know, say, I would say uh, almost certainly. Yeah. So there, there will be. So like a five-star guy, um, you know, he's, he's looking at an offer from Clemson, Georgia, Mm -hmm. Florida state, um, Florida, like those type of schools, you know, the, the potential endorsement deals at those given programs are going to kind of grease the wheels there. And like, what if this guy isn't all he's cracked up to be? What if he, what if he's the five star, like, uh, like the one that um, has already left Alabama via the transfer portal. That was like the the number one overall player on rivals. I think uh, this defensive lineman who's already, already like off campus, like it'll be interesting to see, you know, what if he, if this, if his specific case couple of years down the line where like he's the number one player he's committed to Alabama he's got all the all this stuff lined up and then it just doesn't work out for him like did, you know did, real, does real life hit him in the face yeah. like does he get all these endorsements pulled does he not get to recoup any of that money I don't really know how that works I mean in some ways it, it could kind of just be a, a smaller scale version of brands that associated themselves with an Antonio Brown or a Ray Rice type of uh, situation sure. you know like I, I, I am very curious to see how this goes in terms of what it actually looks like, you know, I think, um, you know, California governor Gavin Newsom said, you know, one of the, one of the things that he brought up in an, in an interview this past week was, you know, YouTube channels. There's the, who was the punter that was, Oh, and, uh, was it a central Florida? Somebody, some, yeah, I think the punter at central Florida basically was trying to monetize his YouTube channel a couple of years ago. The NCAA stepped in and he ended up quitting football, I think, right? Because he was just uh, so he, frustrated. He was with exposed it. to a firing squad for doing yeah, that. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> um, and I think that's on really the low end. You know, like being able to monetize a YouTube channel, you know, the ultimate national visibility isn't high. Like, are we going to see Justin Fields in not only a local commercial, but a, like a national commercial? You mm-hmm. know, could we see him in a Tostitos ad during an Ohio State game? Like, is, is that how far this is going to go? I, I, I'm very curious to see what kind of if any restrictions are, are placed on, you know, the type of endorsements that these athletes are able to see. Because the marketability is is huge with these players and, and it taps into a market potentially, like especially in the South where they're like they're, they're, you know, Atlanta's in Georgia, obviously, but like the rest of that region doesn't have like a professional sports team. Right. right? But like uh, 
to attack of Iloa, I know that he's, he sort of supersedes everything, but like yep. he, he exists on a different plane, uh, down in Alabama or yep. down in that region, you know, I, th- so I think it could be natural, national celebrity for them. Right. I, these hyper local, you know, like some of the ads that we see that Paul Crest is on that are only airing in Madison mean a lot more to people who are buying a vehicle from Zimbrick Honda in Madison than they do somebody seeing that commercial in lacrosse, you know, on the other side of the state for and sure. And so, yeah, I, I think I would imagine it'll, it'll be to the benefit of, of, you know, local advertisers. Um, that's kind of what comes to mind for me, I guess, is, is ads more than kind of personal branding. You know, YouTube is the example there. Um, but I'm very interested to see how it goes. And, and again, we'll have to wait a few years, I think, for, for it to really, really take effect. But it's going to be, it's going to be very interesting, you know, to turn on a college football game or stream a college football game in, in 2025 and, and what that's going to look like. Definitely, man. I, I'm, I'm excited. And, and I think overall, you know, any sort of above board payment to these guys who are making this much money yes. for their schools, I think is a, is a step in the right direction, something that's probably long overdue. Um, I don't really trust that this is going to go perfectly. There will be missteps and, and weirdnesses, Boy, will be. but I love like the weirdnesses and the missteps are like part of why I love college football. So I'm sure yeah. this will just be great theater for the next few years. All right, let's look back at week five. Uh, Georgia did not play in week five, uh, of course, after beating Notre Dame two Saturdays ago. I know you're a little bit concerned that maybe the week off uh, could end up, you know, or maybe in the short term at least, ended up impacting Georgia's, you know, national standing. I guess as Ohio State goes in and, and beats Nebraska, Clemson and Alabama win again. Oklahoma State, you know, rolls against Texas Tech. Auburn rolls. Um, you know, Georgia being off this week. Do you, do you think that that you know takes a hit to to where they stand? You know, yeah, it's sort of just like the, this tongue in cheek sort of reaction from from like the national media and then the, the Georgia people where it's like did Georgia lose on its bye week or something you know because uh I think Ohio State having that nationally televised game where they just absolutely just raised Nebraska to the ground was something that that I think rightfully jumped them up but I feel like Georgia now is sort of like this this like annoying fourth wheel in in like the playoff spectrum at least right now and I think a lot of people would probably put LSU who was also on by uh, last week ahead of them in Oklahoma as well so it it just feels like uh Georgian Georgia needs to kind of uh make some statements here because it felt like while they did beat a good Notre Dame team uh it wasn't impressive enough I think in a lot of people's minds which for better or for worse is just kind of the way it is right now I see. I would kind of disagree with that. I mean, I thought that was a good win. I mean, winning at home. I, I guess maybe you expect the margin to be a little bit, a little bit larger. But that, I mean, that's a very, very good Notre Dame team. I, I think maybe there's a perception that we've seen Notre Dame kind of fall on its face so many times in these games that you kind of knock them for that. But sure. I, I mean, I, I hate to just say a win's a win, but that's a very good win against a very good team. I guess you could maybe hold their early season schedule against them. They get Vandy in week one, and then it's a pair of cupcakes in, in Murray State and, and Arkansas State. I, I guess if, if they need to make a statement, are they going to have to wait until next month when they play Florida on November 2nd? Or are they able to make a statement against a team like Tennessee or in a couple of weeks, South Carolina or the week after that, Kentucky? Yeah, the, the the rest of the East kind of falling on its face outside of Florida is going to be problematic for Georgia's strength of record, I think. Um, so winning that Florida game is paramount. And I think also 
that Auburn game, I, I think that Auburn is going to win that one. It, it is at Auburn, and Auburn looks really, really dangerous. And we'll get into their game uh, this week. They're, they're going up against Florida, but that's going to be amazing. But th- there's just a lot of quality. Like, the top 10 is just nasty, like, uh, all the way through. It, there aren't really any, like, weak yeah. link de facto. We have to put these guys in the top 10 just because there's nobody else. Everyone in the top 10 is deserving, and everyone in the top 10 is very dangerous. Do you include Florida? In that, even without Felipe Franks, not necessarily, but like they can, they they won't like lose a game necessarily. Like you, you have to go out and and beat them. Like they're not going to beat themselves, I don't think, with with Trask and in that offense. And then the defense is just quality enough um, across the board. Uh, looking at the front and then going back to it, it's uh, secondary to where um, they're just a very very solid team that w- they won't beat itself. And it's it's you're going to need to be a very quality team in order to pull it off against them. And I, I think Auburn will be like that first true mm-hmm. litmus test of that. So is Michigan back? Michigan, like even their, like their beatdowns of Rutgers in previous years have been like kind of like this amazing like fireworks type of thing. And the scoreboard would suggest something yeah. similar. But this felt like sad almost. It Just like they're, they're like... They're like a bully that that got beat up by someone their own size, and then they just took it out on like their little brother or something. Yep. Like that's sort of what that what that win felt like for Michigan. So I don't buy Michigan as being uh, turned around in any meaningful way. I think that there's a very good chance that they are the third best team in the in the Big Ten East. I think that Penn State might be better than them. I think I think that game is at Happy Valley. Um, I, because I, I think Michigan got biblical on them last year at, at the Big House, but I mm-hmm. think I think that Penn State um, is showing to be that that quality level of team to where I think that they're better than Michigan. I think Michigan State, for as low as I think their general ceiling is, I think that they're just hell to deal with on a general on like a week to week basis. And Michigan's offense isn't ex, isn't as explosive as Ohio State's or anything close to it. So I don't really th- think that they have that sort of edge to really like blow out Michigan state. So yeah, I think Michigan probably third, maybe fourth best team in that division. I mean, I think based on what we've seen from Michigan so far, it's safe to rule them out as any sort of dark horse playoff contender at this point. I don't think that's a take by any means, but we are going to find out in these next few weeks, you know, how, how good or just how bad this team is. Um, You know, Rutgers is obviously a disaster, but in two weeks um, or excuse me, this weekend, they're home against Iowa uh, that's a, a team that's ranked 14th overall. Then they're at Illinois, at number 12 Penn State, and then home against Notre Dame in in four consecutive weeks. So uh, this could get. I mean, if you go, there's a very real possibility, I guess, that Michigan goes one and three mm-hmm. in that span. I, I think if you come out of that even two and two, based on how they've looked, like that, that's almost a success. Which it, it sucks to say if you're a Michigan fan, but I, I don't I don't see how you could look at this upcoming stretch and feel really optimistic. No, not at all. So I, I like you said, there's a. I would say there's a better chance of them going one and three than three and one. Like, but like, oh, very sure. definitively. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think especially if they lose this week at home against Iowa. Iowa's I, tough, man. Like, right? you don't want to play Iowa. Like, they are. They mean business, and their offense is actually in gear for mm-hmm. once too. So it's not just the defense kind of grinding you to a halt. They have a quarterback that's been there forever. Mm-hmm. That they seem to have receivers now for a change. Uh, their running backs are running well too. So Iowa is is no fun to play. I would I would not want to play them, even though uh, Michigan is at home this mm-hmm. time around. So while Notre or uh, Georgia was on a bye this past week, Notre Dame able to bounce back, beat a ranked Virginia team 
35 to 20. Um, not not a ton of takeaways from this game. Uh, I mean, I, I how much did you really ever buy into Virginia in the first place? I did. I mean, it just was like a, the best of the rest as far as what yeah. the ACC looks like. So now it seems like maybe North Carolina is vaulting itself into that discussion. But Virginia, I like the way they finished the year last year. Uh, that um, I think that they're a good team. I love Bryce Perkins, especially from like a fantasy perspective. But um, th- this is a Virginia team that I think, you know, lives in the in the 20 to 25 range. I don't think that they have a ceiling much above that. So while it was a, a technically a ranked win for Notre Dame and everything like that's a, that's a game that they, they should have had. Um, it's not surprising. Uh, mm-hmm. no, the big takeaway, at least on Notre Dame's side, is their defense looked really nasty. Yeah. I think they generated a ton of turnovers in mm-hmm. that one. So Notre Dame does have that going for them. Yep, they get a, a little bit of a break this weekend against Bowling Green State, and then it's USC at Michigan, Virginia Tech, uh, and then at Duke, their next four games. Okay. Um, looking at the Pac-12, Washington, Utah, Oregon, they all win this past week. They're all 4-1. and one. Uh, USC took a loss. Um, you know, not that we really... USC has just kind of gone week to week, ebbing and flowing, you know, pretty drastically. Um, and it's really tough to get a read on a team like that that's, that's had the quarterback issues that they have. Um but, you know, the Pac-12, after Oregon losing in week one against Auburn, um, you know, in a game that kind of felt like make or break for the entire conference, I, I feel like it's overall rebounded fairly well. You know, to have four teams or three teams sitting at four and one, all ranked in the top 25. Um, and the USC, you know, was three and one before losing to Washington, who's one of those four and one teams. How do you sort out Oregon, Washington, Utah going forward you know is there is there a playoff contender in there is there anything they can even do to work their way into that discussion um i guess the way i see it you know like the pac-12 is going to need some help from some of those teams at the top to to really force their way in there oh big time yeah like at this point it's a very much a long shot that the pac-12 gets a bit into the into the uh playoff i just think that uh the acc is really strong oklahoma looks like like they would need to lose probably twice to texas in order for it to be eliminated from playoff contention even one even one loss for them if they like do it like they did last year and just win the big 12 championship game then i I would imagine that they're going to get in um so we're looking at like Clemson, like actually stumbling. Um, and again, I don't necessarily think that that's going to happen. We'll, we'll get into that shortly, I'm sure. And then I think the SEC will probably have a case for, for two teams and the Big Ten could also have a case for two teams there. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's just a tough road to hoe. I, Oregon would be my pick uh, of that group. I think that they're built to win. I think that, you know, they should have beaten Auburn, honestly. Right. They, they, uh, they kind of let that one slip, but they're the best team top to bottom. Uh, their, their coaching is really good. Mario Cristobal's built a really nice looking program up there at Oregon. They, they play smash mouth. Um, and I think it's better overall for the conference that like Cal kind of fell on its face a little bit last weekend because the idea of Cal being the best team in a power five conference, like almost is like a bad look for for your conference yeah. overall. So even though you, you don't love to see your conference cannibalize itself, if, you, if you're like pushing to just get mm-hmm. one guy up there, Cal wasn't going to be that. So it, it's got to be Oregon, a, a 12 and one Oregon team in order yep. for there to be any sort of legitimate discussion. I don't think the Washington is of that quality right. uh, to Oregon necessarily. Yeah, the depth at the top, like you said, is just it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, the top eight teams are all undefeated right now and you're going to have, you know, Ohio State. Wisconsin, you know, one of those teams is obviously going to, you know, knock the other off when it comes down to it. Um, but there is a case to be made that had Oregon won in week one, they would be ranked probably six or seven yeah. right now. Uh, I mean, Auburn is the seventh ranked team in the country. I think they would be right there um, and certainly would be in position to be one of the teams to capitalize, you know, when we inevitably 
you know, have some of these teams take losses. We're not going to have seven teams finish, you know, 11 and 0 when it's all said and done. Right. Uh, let's talk about Clemson. Uh, probably the most of their discouraging wins so far, and they've had a few. Uh, week one against Georgia Tech, they looked incredible outside of Lawrence throwing two picks. Everything looked like, um, you know, it was going to be clicking on all cylinders, and it was just going to kind of be a year where they cruise through the schedule and and really just turn it on, you know, when, in the college football playoff. But week to week now, you know, they, they beat a good Texas A&M team, you know, but they, they only scored 24 points, which by Clemson standards uh, didn't feel like, you know, all that many. They win big at Syracuse. They win big against Charlotte, two undermanned opponents, and then barely hang on uh, this weekend at Chapel Hill, um, 21-20, um, really needing, you know, a stop on a two-point conversion with under two minutes left to end up winning this game. And, you know, if North Carolina gets it, there's enough time for Clemson to maybe go down and, and at least – you know, get get enough yardage to set up a field goal, but um, this once again we we kind of find ourselves having the same conversation where you know Travis Etienne not able to get it going, no real big runs in this game. I think his longest was only thirteen or fourteen yards, only one touchdown, barely over two hundred yards for Trevor Lawrence. Um, is there is there any real reason to worry with Clemson, or is is the case that you know they they kind of know where they stand, they know what they have to do in the regular season, and it's just hard for a team coming off of a national title to, to get up for a game like this. It's, I mean, they got to get up for this. Like if Dabo is as good as they say they are, as they say he is, which I'm pretty sure he is. And I don't understand how this team has looked so sleepy through the, through these first couple of weeks. And it, I understand like a, a bit of entitlement, obviously coming off of an incredible year last year and everything like that. And bringing back so much of that offensive production specifically, I just don't understand how they are looking like this, but you know, maybe I drew this parallel with you last week and I I don't necessarily buy it at this point, but it's feeling a little bit more and more like that 2014 Florida state team that, you know, won the national title the year before went undefeated in like the least impressive fashion imaginable. And then just got housed by Oregon in the, in the college football playoff. It is uh, kind of horizontal throw play. Yes. Precisely. So yeah. it was that year. And, you know, Florida State, they, they kept finding ways to win despite looking sloppy. Um, and the expectation was constantly, oh, they'll, they'll figure it out. Um, so while I do give Clemson a little bit more credit than I do that Florida State team, I also have the hindsight of Florida State getting blown away by Oregon in, in that uh, playoff game. But the, the point being here is it's got to happen sooner rather than later. And I think we're already starting to see a a sense around the the national college football landscape that Clemson not only isn't the number one team in the country, but they're they're probably not even the number two team in the country right now. No. And uh, it kind of makes you wonder what it would take for them to actually drop. You know, I mean, at what point, and to be fair, I don't think they're going to keep squeaking out, you know, wins against, you know, a bad Florida state team, a bad Louisville team coming up. Um, but you know, even if they, even if they're sitting at eight, no, in a few weeks and we still haven't been impressed by them, you do wonder if, if Ohio state or, you know, Oklahoma or whoever it might be at that time, LSU, you know, would end up jumping them. And, you know, as long as they're in that four, I don't think it matters. And it would be, as long as they win it, it, they're not going to drop out. Of course. And that's kind of the, the beauty of being, being the incumbent in a lot of ways is you really have to play your way out. Um, and you look the rest of the way, I mean, of all these games remaining on their schedule, Florida State, Louisville, Boston College, uh, NC State, Wake Forest, South Carolina. Do you do you really think they'll be in any danger in any of those? Um, I think Wake Forest will like, give it the the best test of that group, and I love the Demon Deacons this year. I love this team that Dave Clawson has put together, but 
there's no reason why they should actually beat Clemson. Like mm-hmm. it would, it would take a, a pit from a couple years ago esque miracle for for it to like really make any any sort of sense. I, yeah. I don't think that it would like Wake Forest man to man can really truly match up yep. with Clemson. I think Wake Forest can be one of the best teams in the ACC, but still, just and Clemson's just operating at a different level when it when it wants to. I remember watching that pit game at a karaoke bar in South Bend. Indiana, mm. uh, where smoking was allowed for oh, some reason. Oh hell yeah! So I don't, I don't know if that was a statewide thing or they just got an exemption. But I, I just remember just like, like five Santa Fe's going yeah, at just once. Just like hazy TV <laughs> of me seeing Iowa set up for a field. Oh, um, but Chris uh, blew it. Shout out. Uh, yeah, what a game. Um, Ohio State rolls over Nebraska. I, I don't like Ohio State for a number of reasons. You know, just personal reasons. Sure. Uh, just this morning, ESPNU was re-airing the Braxton Miller Hail Mary. Uh, to Devin Smith game against Wisconsin, one of two Hail Mary losses in 2011 for the Badgers. Uh, but, you know, ESPNU was gracious enough to air the subsequent Rose Bowl loss for the Badgers directly after. Badgers so all I, weekend. Yeah, I'm walking into the studio just red hot. I really don't like Ohio State, but I, I really liked seeing them take down Nebraska in this fashion because I, I think people kind of, even going, you know, dating back to last year when Scott Frost was brought in, people. I think started to say, you know, this is the beginning of Nebraska getting back to where we think they can get, you know, and recruiting wise, they've done great. And the implication is, you know, Wisconsin's kind of been that other team, you know, besides Ohio State for for the last few years, while Michigan's been up and down and Michigan State's been up and down, like Wisconsin's been the most consistent team outside of Ohio State. And I think Nebraska is kind of coming for that eventually. And then a game like this happens. And it makes you, know, you question all the progress that they it have does. made because really when you look at the numbers how much progress have they actually made you know and, and very little you know there's a lot of hype and i was buying it like they were a four and eight team last year that that looked like they were going to be a lot more competitive this year that this is going to be year two under frost this is going to be year two for adrian martinez they have the talent that you mentioned um that they kept talking about the the defensive line throughout that that game but it's like well they weren't yeah. stopping anybody they just happened to be very large human beings um Wandale Robinson, really impressive. Maurice Washington uh, on the field, very impressive. Um, so they have these pieces there, but I'm starting to wonder if Adrian Martinez is or isn't the answer. And I was way, I was way sold on him the way he finished the year last year, but he looked rattled. He looked terrible. He looked inaccurate. He looked just wild out there um, and sort of a little bit clueless, a little bit frazzled. So um, I know Ohio State can make pretty much anybody look bad and I know that every year we, we get the the one Ohio State cornerback that's like the de facto uh, top ten pick, but Jeffrey Okuda looks every bit of that. He looks ridiculously good. That that focus interception he had off the tip when he was laying on the ground and, and was able to snag it, yeah. really impressive, and some big hits from him too. So really physical. But larger point here, Nebraska. I still think that they are they have the right man at, at the head. I, I think that Scott Frost will kind of bring them to, you know, divi- fighting for those Western division titles here moving forward. But I am starting to question whether Adrian Martinez is a guy and that that puts them back on like a 2021 trajectory yeah. potentially of being really competitive. We're like three weeks removed from him having better Heisman odds than Jonathan Taylor. I just want to put that out there. Adrian Martinez went off for 47 passing yards and three picks in this game. Eight of 17, did rush for 81 yards, had a 56 yarder. Um, but that was really the only highlight of the day for him and and for Nebraska. In this game, with three minutes left in the third quarter, Ohio State was up forty eight nothing and called the dogs off. I mean, this very easily could have been like a sixty three to zero just thumping. You, many are saying that Florida Atlantic put up a better fight. Are they? 
Well, I, I would love to say that. I'll just, I'll just toss that out there. <laughs> from, from week one, when Ohio State called off the dogs at like halftime instead. All right, let's look ahead to week six. Uh, best game of the week. Obviously, the hands-down one is Wisconsin-Kent State. Of course. Josh Cribbs, you. Dree Archer, you. Mm. Coming into town. Uh, Wisconsin looked terrible uh, against Nebraska. I was, I was at that game. Horrific game to be at. I, I only stayed for mid-first quarter through the end of the third quarter, which was precisely when Wisconsin didn't do anything but punt the ball and then fumble punts. Um, and they were, they were able to kind of turn it on defensively in the fourth quarter. But I, I, would, I would expect this to be a rebound game for Wisconsin. Kent State is um, pretty bad, too. Kent State is really bad. I hate to say it. Um, but we did get Florida and Auburn. Uh, that's the big one, um, the night game. Iowa-Michigan and Ohio State-Michigan State. So a little bit of the luster, I think, is worn off of Florida-Auburn just because of the quarterback situation for the Gators. But Auburn's a three-point favorite on the road. Uh, do you think that's that's the right line here? It's. I think it is. I would favor Auburn in this one. I know. I, I saw this morning. Uh, Bill Connolly uh, tweets out his like at the what the S and P uh, projections look like for the week and the game scores. It actually had Florida winning by three in this game, which I, I thought was a little bit surprising. But I think that Auburn's talent. I mean, the the defensive talent is insane. And and I know that going to the swamp, uh, it's going to be an uncomfortable situation for for Bo Nix. But I, I don't think that Bo Nix gets frazzled i think this could be what to bo Nix. this game could be what like jake Fromm going to notre dame was his freshman year mm-hmm. uh really tough spot but um he doesn't get you know uh no moment is too big for him i think bo Nix could go a long way towards proving that in this one in the swamp there so i think that auburn has the horses to do it i think auburn is is seriously one of the more dangerous teams in the country like i think on a on a any given week type of basis they could probably beat anybody, so I think that um, I think that I would give them the edge here. The, am I picking a side necessarily? I'd probably just go Auburn money line more more than them covering that spread. It's just it's tough to really know, mm-hmm. but I still I still lean Auburn here. Um, Iowa, Michigan. I feel like we're going to learn a lot about both of these teams. Um, you know, Iowa's climbed into the the top fifteen, but their wins are against Miami of Ohio, against a Rutgers team that we now know is for sure extremely bad. Yep. They squeak by a pretty good Iowa State team, and then they beat Middle Tennessee, who seems to just be getting killed every single week by some like high major opponent. Um, but yeah, a lot of paydays, I guess, coming in. Yeah, right. <laughs> they're just like making so much money off these games. Uh, Michigan's a, a three and a half point favorite at home, kind of getting the benefit of the doubt. Um, you know, I, I think it, it helps to have that Rutgers game. You know, in between the Wisconsin disaster and this, you know, if, if they were playing Iowa last week, maybe that line is a little bit smaller. Sure, um, but maybe there's a belief, you know, that that Michigan gained some semblance of of its swagger if it ever had that back. I I got to say, I haven't watched a ton of Iowa this year. Um, I would love to see Michigan get beat again, uh, but talent-wise, you know, Michigan is is going to be the superior team in that regard. Uh, what are you expecting to see in Ann Arbor? Um, I my initial inclination is that Michigan somehow finds a way to win here. It, they need it though. Like yes. if they lose this game, then I think that we're looking at like a seven and five, eight and four season for Michigan here. Um, but Iowa definitely has the horses to um, to win this game. I mean, they have in terms of like the. Rotowire, we have our this cool new team rankings page that, that the tech guys threw together, and it, it's got offensive and defensive efficiencies. And uh, Iowa's defense, one of the most efficient in the country, and the offense actually not too far behind either. So, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of quality on both sides of the ball for Iowa, and you know that they're going to be really well coached. Not necessarily sure you can say that about Michigan at, at this stage. You definitely so. don't know that. Yeah, you definitely well don't know it. Um, there's a so, chance they're well coached. So... 
I, I think Michigan wins this one. It's going to be really down to the wire. I'm, I'm very, very excited for this game, and I definitely give Iowa that, that puncher's chance, even though they're on the road in the big house. I, I think that Iowa could pull it off, but if I had to pick, I, I would say Michigan wins this game. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens if they don't win this game. Um, you know, I, Would this be a worse loss than losing at Wisconsin? Yeah, yeah, because you're, you're at home against a, a team that's worse than Wisconsin. Yeah. So, so, I mean, those two factors combined i think would would make this mm-hmm. i think then we start to hear what do the boosters think what what's the harbaugh buyout what is the actual figure what yeah. like how do we get this Let's all get a quote from denard robinson yeah yeah see yes um yeah are his shoelaces tied um <laughs> probably not so i i think that we start to hear that sort of discussion start to uh circulate out of ann arbor mm-hmm. if michigan drops this game i think that this this is as much of a must-win game as you can possibly have at this stage yeah. of the season, if you're if you're Michigan, and I, I think you know maybe the bar has been lowered since the Wisconsin games. So you know, if you're a Michigan fan, I, I don't see how you could go into this game like feeling great about it. But oh, they no. need to start fast, or that's going to turn into a, a very dicey environment. I think in Ann Arbor, I, I don't think there's a lot of patience left in that fan base right now. No, uh, and then we get Ohio State, Michigan State. Ohio State's a 20-point favorite against a ranked Michigan State team. Um, I, I guess I haven't heard a lot of people come out and say this, but I think Justin Fields is better than Brian Lewerke. What? That's very bold of you to say that. Yeah, well, I Thank mean, you. like I said, a lot of people are scared to, to put that out there, but I think Ohio State's going to... Oh, wait, never mind. The The line has now dropped to 19 and a half in the last, like, 45 minutes, so... Vegas knows heard something. you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, no, I think this is going to be another Ohio State romp. I mean, as, as I've said over and over, they're, they're the team to me that just... You know, and I'm sure they've had these losses every now and then, but it, it seems like when they're the, the favorite and they should win and they have the talent advantage, they almost always do. You rarely have to worry about them. And, you know, you see that number 25 next to Michigan State and you, you think, well, you know, maybe they could be a little frisky. I, I don't see it. I, I think Ohio State just rolls again. Yeah. I mean, Michigan State, like, it, I know they've put up some points in, in different weeks this year, but I think I think that their offense is more along the lines of like what it showed against Arizona State than like you know what it did against Indiana or something like that. So um, I think that this is like I cap Michigan State's total here at like seventeen and a half or something like it. I just yeah. don't think that they're going to be able to score that much on this Ohio State defense, which is ridiculously good. I mean Chase mm-hmm. Young also, holy smokes! Uh, I think uh, D'Antonio said yesterday. When, it, when asked about Chase Young, I haven't really thought about him f- as a from like the human perspective <laughs> in, in the sense that he's just like an alien or something. Chase Young, absolutely ridiculous, a total game wrecker off the edge. So I think that that's going to be a huge problem. And I think also, you know, basically they need a situation like what they had in 2015, the year that they made the playoff. Um, where they just drug Ohio State into the mud. Urban Meyer forgot who uh, Ezekiel Elliott was, and it was just a totally off-the-rails uh, type of game in November in Columbus, if I remember correctly. I don't see that happening this time around. I think Ohio State has a much better quarterback this time around. No disrespect to JT Barrett. I just think that Fields is just the better overall player here. So we're just going to kind of affirm our, our suspicions here that Ohio State is is, you know, if not the best team, like one of the top two best teams in the country right now. Yeah, this Michigan State team feels like one that's going to give like Wisconsin a lot of trouble, but I, I think Ohio State, just talent-wise, is, is just too good to really stumble here. Let's take a look at the DraftKings picks for Week 6. We'll start, as always, with the quarterback position, where Jalen Hurts sits atop uh, of the leaderboard. $9,300 is his salary. This week, that's 600 more 
then Joe Burrow, who's at 8,700. Then you get Sam Ellinger at 8,500. Khalil Tate uh, rounds out the top four. He's at 8,100. Are you paying up for Hertz? I, I think so. I think you kind of just like start your lineup making with him. And as opposed to other weeks recently where the, the, the cap has been really, really tight as far as what you can do at quarterback, um, there's a lot of value options this week at, at quarterback and, and or your super flex spot, whichever you like to slot it in as. But there are way, there is a lot to like with these secondary options to where you don't have to only go burrow hurts and then go bargain hunting for the rest of uh the rest of your uh lineup there um that's certainly one way you can do it and the and the the cap i feel like is pretty soft especially at the running back position and we'll get there in a minute but um i think that you can go with burrow and hurts and, and make it work but you can also go with with hurts and you know one of these guys under seven thousand or around 7100 and, and still make a, a pretty killer lineup there well, John, would you mind telling me about some of these guys priced under, let's say, 7200 uh, who you might be interested in this weekend? Uh, if you could please highlight a certain player from the University of Minnesota, that would be great as well. <laughs> Gladly, sir. Okay, so starting things off, uh, Sean Clifford, it almost feel, like, feels like Penn State is just kind of mispriced across the board here this week um, from, from like the DraftKings perspective. 7100 for a guy like Clifford who has just been lights out. I mean, uh, kind of under the radar because obviously like Michigan, Ohio State, Wisconsin is kind of drawing all the water and attention in the Big Ten right now, but uh, he's been super impressive thus far. One of the higher like uh, fantasy points per game uh, type of guys on this slate here and Purdue stinks and especially on defense. So Penn State at home uh, coming off a nice win over Maryland where the offense kind of like reached its like full form. Clifford is going to be a really nice play this week, I think, and and someone that I would consider more so than like even like a Spencer Sanders, who I know I I still really like Spencer Sanders and going up against Texas Tech 7600. It's nice and everything, but he hasn't done enough as a passer just yet to really make me sold on on him. Like he's probably not going to get you that 300 yard bonus um, that you get on DraftKings. Um, for through the air, uh, only eight touchdowns through I, I believe five games. So um, just like the passing production hasn't quite been to what you would want it to be. The rushing has been nice, but I think for five hundred dollars less, I'm going Clifford uh, pretty much exclusively there. I'm gonna have a ton of Clifford and Hertz lineups basically. Uh, moving down the board a little bit, uh, Grant Gannell. Um, he's someone to keep an eye on if Khalil Tate is unable to go. He was a guy that was committed to Sumlin at A and M went to Tucson, went to Arizona when uh, someone took that job, uh, held on to his commitment and looked really good last week in that win over, over UCLA through for over 300 yards, Colorado, um, pretty shaky against the pass, uh, that, that we've seen, uh, thus far. So I think that he's definitely worth considering. And we also have like a high over under in that game, 63, uh, Colorado, again, giving up 31 fantasy points a game two opposing quarterbacks. So something to keep an eye on there, especially if Tate is scratched, which I think is a definite possibility at this stage, uh, moving down a little bit, Tanner Morgan, uh, your guy from Minnesota, um, again, a little bit queasy about how much I like Minnesota this week. Um, sort of like how much I liked Illinois players, going up against UConn uh, earlier on in the season, it's sort of feel, reminiscent. I, I feel dirty saying it, but like at the same time, like the numbers just say, do it. Uh, I mean, I mean, quietly Tanner Morgan, this offense like is kind of clicking, especially through the air. Um, he has 10 touchdowns against just two picks thus far. His YPA is 11.6. That's like really, really strong. Um, I don't care who you are at, at this point in this of the season. If you're over 10 yards per attempt, that's really, really strong. 
I think that the number one case to play Sean Clifford against Purdue is that someone named Tanner went 21 of 22 against Purdue last week. There you go. Okay, yeah, yeah, you said it way more succinctly than I could have. So 396 yards, four touchdowns. I, I don't like that Minnesota might actually have like a semi-competent quarterback. Getting, getting some Adam Weber vibes here. I, I don't know like how good Morgan really is, but those receivers that they have uh, <laughs> with, with uh, Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman, mm-hmm. they're both ridiculous. Like They'll both be playing on Sundays. Uh, Johnson, uh, as early as next year, I think he's a, a senior right now. Um, I was kind of surprised that he didn't go out in the draft, honestly, but he's been great so far. Bateman's been great. So those guys, like Illinois just can't check either of them. And, and if – and what I also like about them and I guess I'll kind of just like lump in my whole Minnesota take right now is that like I love for DFS purposes a really narrow usage tree I love when you get two guys over 30 percent of the target share and that's what like basically what I'm saying is that these two guys make up the entirety of their of their passing game and they do uh Bateman Mm -hmm. and Johnson combined for like 67 percent of of the targets there for Minnesota so it's just it's going to be funneled all the way to them when you're playing on a PPR full point PPR site like DraftKings, that's just gold in my opinion. So, uh, a lot of reasons to like that Minnesota passing game uh, this week against Illinois. And then if you drop down the board a little bit further, um, I might just do this in like one lineup just to kind of see what happens. Probably like a two or three dollar thing. But Jordan Love is a talented player. He's he's really uh, decreased price here because he is going to LSU. Um, so again, like it's something that I'll consider with like my, my like last lineup that I'm just kind of like brain fried, uh, right before kickoff type of thing. But LSU, it's offense is really good. It's defense has given up garbage time production to a lot of teams, uh, worse teams than Utah state. I think that Utah state's better than Vanderbilt. I think that Jordan love is better than, um, Riley Neal at Vanderbilt. So there's a chance that, that maybe he gets enough like garbage time production to make it worth it. And then one guy a little bit further down is Jet Duffy of Texas Tech. It looks like Alan Bowman's going to be out again. Um, I don't know why Texas Tech started Jackson Tyner last week, like this like rice cast off, but Duffy was like actually good last year. And I don't know why it took until the second quarter to get him in, but he actually kind of moved the ball against OU. So going up against Oklahoma State, it's at just 6,000, tons of points in that games you'd expect. So I like Duffy there. Chet Duffy is an extremely Big 12 air raid name. So oh, I, God, I think yeah. it fits. Yeah. Uh, let's look at the running back position. Kind of a three tiers, I guess, at the top. You know, Chuba Hubbard is, is kind of on his own level at 8,900 this week going up against that Texas Tech team. A.J. Dillon, you, you get him for $1,000 cheaper. He's at 7,900, but he's also $1,100 more expensive um, than the next kind of group of guys on the board. So are, are you going to be fading these top two? I think so. I think I think that um I mean I, I like Hubbard just fine and he's obviously the engine of that offense more than more than the Sanders is. So it's a matter of like if I have enough cheap receivers to fit him in and I still like my two quarterbacks, but I think I'm only probably going to have like a like a 20%, maybe even less exposure to Hubbard this week. I just think that there are better ways to build a lineup without, you know, sinking that high a percentage of your salary into just one player in a game where, you know, the passing game might be a little bit more emphasized here. So I don't like Hubbard at, at 9,000 as someone that I'm locking into every, every single one of my lineups. And then Dylan, he hasn't really gotten it going yet necessarily. I mean, he's been fine, but not, not, a not the amazing player that, that we were expecting at least to this stage Louisville can kind of help 
uh, you know, reverse that course a little bit, obviously. Um, but again, at 7,900, I don't love that necessarily either. So I'm, I'm going to be attacking that mid tier, that, that next tier down that you mentioned, like starting with Keontae Ingram, he's kind of interesting going up against West Virginia. Um, but there are some other guys a little bit further down, um, that I would say I like, I, I would circle back on Arizona, um, whether it's Gary Brightwell, um, or Darius Smith. It seems like JJ Taylor might be missing this game. Colorado pretty bad against opposing running backs. Smith is is particularly interesting because he's he has a lot of usage in that passing game for Arizona. Already has two touchdowns uh, this year through the air, and Colorado has really really struggled against pass catching backs. So that that's something to consider. Um, he checks in, I think, a little bit more expensive than Brightwell, but both those guys are under six k. Um, so I like them. I also like Reggie Corbin of Illinois on the other side of that Minnesota game. Minnesota giving up 25.7 fantasy points per game to opposing running backs, which is a lot. Um, so I think that Corbin at that price uh, specifically is really, really interesting. He's He's been like other than that one game that he missed, I think, against UConn. Um, he's been pretty much exactly as advertised mm-hmm. in terms of uh, what he showed last year. Any love for for Trey Sermon and, and what should be you know a pretty easy romp for Oklahoma? I think so because I mean Kennedy Brooks got got dinged up on like this dirty shot from from a Texas Tech player at the end of an interception last week, so I'm not sure if he's going to be in, let alone in for a ton of this game. And you know you figure maybe Oklahoma kind of pulls it's like a teamers out of this game relatively early earlier than it did a week ago because Kansas is really really bad um so i think that sermon this sets up well to to like i don't think it's like the smash spot i don't think that he's gonna like get like the 20 carries for 200 yards necessarily but i think that if he gets even 10 to 12 carries you're probably gonna see 100 yards you're probably gonna see a touchdown all right let's look at the wide receiver position a lot of options in play this week number one player on the board but not by much is cd lamb he's at eight thousand. Then you get Denzel Mims of Baylor at 7,800. And then, you know, kind of like the running back position, a, a real glut of guys between that, you know, 6,800 and, and 750 uh, type of range. Right. Yeah. So, like, w- with Lamb, obviously, he he's always had this the talent, obviously. But, like, last week was, like, the biggest sort of, like, you forgot about C.D. Lamb, didn't you? You forgot to put him in your lineup. You went with somebody else, didn't you? And you got burned by it because Lamb just – like holy crap, man! That was just like a like I've never yeah. seen an indi- seven thousand. Yeah, an, an individual performance like that, like you only see that like once or twice a year. Like that was just preposterous. And then Devonte Smith did it later in the afternoon. I think he had five touchdowns against Ole Miss. So a lot of fun to watch that afternoon. Although a lot of my lineups kind of suffered as a result. Um, when it comes to when it comes to Mims, um, I just worry about Kansas State kind of pulling down the tempo of that game a little bit and kind of like limiting that that Baylor passing attack ceiling. Um, I like Charlie Brewer in, in this Baylor offense for season long, but I, I don't think it's necessarily optimal uh, for DFS. Duvernay, Devin Duvernay of, of Texas is someone that I would kind of draw my attention towards. He's seventy five hundred, so he's the third most expensive guy on the board, but like 11 targets a game when you're talking about DraftKings again with the full point PPR it's just hard to you know ignore um, that level of volume again with with Tyler Johnson at 6600 and Rashad Bateman at 6400 of Minnesota both those guys kind of fit that similar bill where that you can project them pretty safely to to uh, to go for like double digit targets so like those guys as well i don't like you just talking about how talented minnesota is we need to put a cap on this i don't know why i don't like i don't know where it's coming from either like i've been like i've been watching 
closely Minnesota football for a while. Right. And at no point it's have disgusting. I really felt like they had like legit NFL talent, but right. a couple, couple spots they do. Um, so one of my favorite guys, LaVisca Chenault, still banged up. Basically, yeah, yeah, he's been yeah. banged up the entire year. Had that big game against Air Force a couple of weeks ago, but just really hasn't gotten it going. One catch uh, last week against Arizona State, or in their in their last game, I should say. Um, you know, a guy who's been a factor in the rushing game in the past, you know, reverses, direct snaps, things like that. That hasn't really been a part of it. Um, are, are you staying away from him this week, you know, as, as he looks like, you know, it might be a situation where he's limited again? Yes, I, I think so. And, and you know, we, we talked about how, like, it feels like Colorado isn't necessarily like shoehorning him into into the offense the way that they did last year, whereas right. like it's LaVisca or it's nothing. Um, I think that there's just a little bit more talent outside of just him, so he doesn't need to shoulder that load necessarily every single time out. Um, so I just I, for me, he's a fade. Um, someone this week that like I would attack a Tony mm-hmm. Brown or a Katie Nixon who are much cheaper than him going up against this Arizona secondary that that hasn't been great. It's been about average. Um, for most of this year and uh, you expect Colorado to put up some points especially at home in, in this one so I, I think that I would lean more closely if I'm on the Colorado side here um, Brown and Nixon I would go with after them before I went after Chenault I, I just like I'm just gonna go ahead and, and do the wait and see on Chenault and if it burns me it burns me but at, at this stage um, from what we've seen from him thus far plus mm-hmm. just college football players with any sort of injury tag heading into a week it's just really really tough to trust him get it get, getting a full workload and, may, and being worth uh, that high price tag on DraftKings. All right, real quickly, you just want to run through a few guys like under 6,000. I know uh, KJ Hamler, one of the favorite plays of the week. Yes. Um, Ross Dellinger uh, of SI tweeted out yesterday that Hamler runs a 428 40 um, and is like some sort of crazy combination of like Steve Smith and a couple other guys, um, like awesome name receivers type, type of thing. So Hamler is just a beast. If you saw his touchdown, his one of his touchdowns against Maryland last week, um, his his long one where he just he did most of the work himself after the catch. You can kind of just see the sort of human joystick elements to his game and, and the general toughness that he has. So number one target in that Penn State offense. Again, I really like that Penn State office, offense this week. Again, I really think that Purdue's defense stinks. So Hamler is probably going to be in every single one of my lineups. So just, just putting that out there. He's going to be an awesome play. Um, at 6,000, again, like I don't expect myself to like separate myself from the rest of the pack by using him, but I also expect most winning lineups to have Hamler in there. So really like him. Um, talked about Brown and Nixon from, from Colorado. I love I love my guy Tutu Atwell from Louisville. Um, he's just a really fun player. He's almost like KJ Hamler mini. Um, so he's even smaller. I think he he's a very normal height at five nine and uh, one hundred fifty three pounds, and he's really really just kind of explosive. He 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 doesn't have like the best catch rate. Uh, he's sort of boomer bust, but he gets enough targets to where like it smooths out over time. Uh, that's kind of what happened again against Florida State. So if you're sweating that one out that that afternoon a couple weeks ago, you ended up paying off well. I also think that Boston College's defense kind of stinks. Um, so I see Mariner, former Utah guy. So I don't think that he's necessarily going to be um, intimidated too much by by this LSU defense. Like he's seen, you know, 
power five defenses before. So I think that he can maybe uh, get it done at 5,300. He has like a pretty high target share and you figure that Utah State's going to be throwing it most of the time there. So it might be cheap. It might be ugly production uh, in one that is very much based in this just being a PPR type of format, but certainly one that, that should pay off when it comes to Mariner. And then uh, McLean Mannix is also kind of interesting at, at 4,900 of Texas Tech. I think he caught a touchdown last week and uh, just kind of like a one of the only Texas Tech receivers that I felt like really showed out against Oklahoma. I, I can't believe this is this is true, but I'm reading up on Tutu Atwell as we speak. His dad was a receiver at Minnesota, so just just more Minnesota talent oh my being worked into this. Um, let's take a look at FanDuel real quickly. Anything different here? Uh, any different approaches relative to DraftKings? Um, I, I would like to take this opportunity to, to stump a little bit for Duke. Um, Duke's football team, you have the floor for fantasy purposes, has been low key awesome this year. I think that especially if you played. Uh, the night slate last Friday night up against Virginia Tech and you went after Quentin Harris, you were handsomely rewarded for, for your efforts there. He's a guy that um, ha- he really intrigued me in the times that he came in for Daniel Jones last year. And I know some of it was against like bad teams and everything like that and blowout situations. But in terms of that pure dual threat ability, the guy that, that can, you know, make the offense work with, with his arm, but also is not afraid whatsoever to, to tuck it and run. Um, I don't think that he's going to be able to do as well against Pitt. I think Pitt can kind of drag this game into the mud a little bit. So maybe you don't get the optimal performance out of Harris, but I still think that he's someone worth considering maybe as your second quarterback over on FanDuel. Pairing him uh, with Jalen Hurts would be kind of an interesting uh, way of going about things. Darius Anderson of TCU, I expect him to have like a bigger share of the workload for TCU this week. Um, You know, they kind of got to, they had the luxury of kind of spreading it around late in that game against Kansas last week, but Anderson was great on a per carry basis. Iowa State's got a really good defense though, so I think uh, that top tier of running backs over on uh, FanDuel is something that I'm probably avoiding. Um, Chuba Hubbard and, and Darius Anderson, I, I specifically mean. Uh, I love J.K. Dobbins, of course, but 9,500, like I feel like I'm just going, I'm just going to start to go a little bit cheaper at the running back spot. Maybe I start considering running backs around Trey Sermon-ish. And I think it's a little bit telling that that FanDuel has him at, at such a higher price point relative to the cap than what DraftKings does. So maybe maybe that it's like a little hint that uh, Sermon is going to go off this week against Kansas and you know Oklahoma running backs have done that before they certainly have uh, a couple of ancillary items before we we head out today there is a I mean things on the field have not been good for Tennessee to put it lightly no sir um, they were mercifully gifted a bye week this past week as they prep for Georgia on Saturday uh, but in the meantime uh, you you know more about the situation than I do but there was a uh, an interesting transcript from a, a 911 call involving jeremy pruitt yes so this is this is the kind of stuff that i pay for uh like college football message boards for this is this is that kind of stuff so so that so last night uh get get some like uh messages on on, like my group chat with some friends you know like oh my god this tennessee thing is hilarious you know what okay so what is it so i check uh the message boards and someone has the audio of this like six minute long clip uh the Knoxville police had pulled over this Tennessee player uh, who had made an illegal U-turn and then apparently had uh, a suspended license and a warrant out for, you know, for failure to report in court. So like this whole thing that like could have very easily been avoided. And Jeremy Pruitt is just, I think initially people want to think that, that this is a phone call where Pruitt is just like, Oh, 
you know, we talked about this, we had a deal type of thing. And it it really wasn't that. So like it, I want to like get that out there. I I don't want to like defend Jeremy Pruitt's honor necessarily, but like he, he wasn't, it wasn't clear from this type of, uh, interaction with the police that like he has some like crazy handshake deals with with the tenant, with the uh, Knoxville law enforcement. But, um, you know, there are some quotes in there. Like, why do you have to arrest him if he has a warrant? Stuff like that. Just kind of like, it's like, well, that's kind of just how that works there. And I I didn't go to law school, but at least uh, I, I know that. Yeah, those warrants tend to be pretty airtight. Yeah. Um, lastly, and this, in my opinion, is probably the biggest story of the week. Cincinnati is rolling out or allegedly, purportedly rolling out a black field for this weekend. Yes. And, it, you know, go ahead and go to Go Bearcats FB on Twitter. Um, that's their handle. And it is, it's something out. All right. I mean, it, yeah, it is the, the black field, like you mentioned. It's got some interesting graphics going on in it. It sort of looks like, um, like an old timey cartoon, like Marvin the Martian, almost eyes popping out of the midfield line. So kind of interesting choice there. Could have gone a little bit fiercer, but that's actually going to be like a really fun game. I think it's Friday night. So a little like appetizer going into the weekend, uh, central Florida, obviously coming off a huge win against UConn. I think that that game has a lot of AAC implications potentially. So keep an eye. I, I want, I cannot believe that the NCAA is allegedly allowing this, right? Like, I mean, I feel like other teams would have done stuff like this all the time. You know, it, it, I know in the, like the NBA, for example, um, you know, teams have tried to get really creative with courts. Some team wanted to, a couple of years ago, wanted to have a court that was black and kind of mimicked like a black top. Oh, yeah, and the yeah. NBA was just like, no, this won't look good on TV. And you, you'd think you kind of have similar issues here. And given how successful Boise State has been, you know, with their blue field and in, just in terms of that attracting national attention, it, it's kind of surprising that more more teams in that tier, which Cincinnati probably is, you know, that are kind of on the verge and maybe need something to differentiate. Haven't tried, you know, kind of gimmicky things like this. And I guess Eastern Michigan has, right? Don't they have like a gray field? They have a gray field and then Eastern Washington has a bright red field. Right. Uh, Yeah. I mean, it looks really cool. They, they have like a, 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 a fierce eyes logo at midfield and then the, the Cincinnati skyline Skyline kind of outlined. My question (laughs) is, is this turf or did they paint a hundred yards worth of field like jet black i know they play on turf so i they that would be a lot of money to redo like a like field turf to that extent right but right? it would also take a ton of paint to paint this entire thing like think of you've seen those you know time lapses of like painting the end zone like how long that takes and how intricate that is i mean my other question is aren't players jerseys just going to be covered in paint oh gosh if if that is, if that does end up being the case that then yeah i mean yeah, I don't really know how they're pulling this off here, and I'm now I'm a little bit skeptical. I have some questions. Yeah, I, I, I just I need to see it. Don't it, play with our hearts like that, Cincinnati. Like don't right. don't tweet that out, and then and the then fact have that it it's coming hoax. from the official account though, like there's it's not April first. Like there's really no reason for them for them to like put this out there as a joke. I, I think it'll look really cool. I just I have some logistical questions. That's it, all. Do you think they're like trying to get like UCF? like just mad online or something so they can laugh at That's them very possible i mean ucf uh, has kind of a creative basketball court for there they they have some kind of like gray sections in, in theirs that's been oh, that's a little right. bit controversial in the past so it could be a really subversive shot there but um yeah i mean we look forward to another big week in college football do you have any any locks of the week that you want to toss out there um this time i don't so I'd, okay. i looked around at some of the spreads and and none of them really jumped out to me at least at this stage as something that that needs to be fired upon with gusto so i'll i'll save you uh your money there all right well you know where to find us on twitter make sure to read john's content 
on rotowire.com's college football page. We'll be back next week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.